Welcome to The Practice Podcast, a show created by lawyers to help lawyers in life and business without all the complicated lawyer language. Let's welcome Bast Amron founders and your hosts, Jeff Bast and Brett Amron. Hey, Jeff. Hi, Brett. How are you today? I'm wonderful. That's great. Right. We're recording this on a Friday, so I love yeah. that. I went for a swim this morning. I'm, I'm, I'm in a good place. How about you? Wow. Jeff's uh, offering up a lot of information today. I'm good. I'm good. It's Friday. I know we always say we have a special guest, but I am so excited today because we do, in fact, have a special guest that is really special to me, somebody I've known for a really long time and has decided to remain friends with me for so long. We've known each other since college. And this is Stephen Rosenwasser. Stephen Rosenwasser is currently a principal shareholder at Greenberg Charg's Atlanta office. He was elevated to that position after only two years with the firm. And that was after spending the bulk of his career at a one of the premier litigation boutiques in Atlanta. Stephen graduated from Duke University School of Law in 1998. He practices in mostly commercial litigation, class action litigation, financial services, and some employment and labor as well. And over the course of his career, Jeff, you're sitting down for this, he has obtained verdicts and settlements in excess of $600 million. That's a lot. That's a lot. He is as tenacious a litigator as you'll find, but can be fair and reasonable when it calls for it and always professional and respectful. He's a frequent lecturer and author. (laughs) (laughs) I said when warranted. He is a frequent lecturer uh, and author on various topics, and he has been the subject of numerous articles and television programs, Wall Street Journal, New York Times, Atlanta Journal-Constitution. He's been interviewed on CBS Evening News, NPR, and Dateline NBC. But while his accolades and accomplishments and his career can fill a podcast. We asked Stephen to be a guest because of his recent experiment with opposing counsel and his attempt to have a true uninterrupted vacation and attempt at work-life balance, which we've talked about on the pod a lot. So we can't wait to hear about it, his share, and share it with our listeners. Stephen, welcome to the Practice Podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you guys for having me. I'm glad we can do this, and I'm glad we can do some more work stuff together. I don't normally critique, Brett, your introductions at all, but you mentioned $600 million in settlements, and I looked at Stephen's bio on his website, and and $600 million in recoveries, and I see $618 alone just listed right there, so the number must be dramatically higher than... than, If uh, you know me, I'm very conservative, and I never understate or exaggerate anything. So, well, I'm going to have to go yeah, back and I talk update my numbers. Research. I think the 600 was, was when I first did it several years ago. Yeah, I'm guessing that number is dated. Not a criticism of you, Brett, I shouldn't say. Yeah, because you can't do I, that. I, you can't criticize no. me. No. It does, it, I can, and it just doesn't stick. It never. It just it's doesn't You're right. a Teflon. Stephen, great to have you. We want you here for so many reasons, but it was that LinkedIn post that really caught our curiosity. It is a crazy world we live in when the thing actually... For however many posts I've done on, on LinkedIn, the fact that one I wrote about a vacation got the most traction of any post in years. Right. So, you know, before we get into that, the world that we live in as lawyers, right, with our phones and technology, with opposing counsel and the demands and clients, 
it's hard, right? Like work-life balance and finding that and being able to just disconnect is is difficult. So as you know, I have stupid hours, as my wife and kids will tell you. I get up normally at 3.30 or 4 in the morning, which I acknowledge is insane. The beauty of the phone, you would hope, is that it would getting up at the hour I do, I can stop working at a reasonable hour. Usually my goal was mid-afternoon. And then if something comes up, having the phone gives you the ability to just quickly deal with it and then go back to whatever I was doing. But the problem is the phone really doesn't let you get away. Uh And people who are more disciplined than I might be able to put it down and not look at it. But I think that's the very rare person who can do that. So it ends up that my day just goes on forever. So yes, it is very hard to try and find the balance, particularly in the world we live with all the technology. You and Brett are peas in a pod with your hours, generally waking up so early. But I know Brett wakes up and puts in 10 to 12 miles running in the morning. Are you waking up at that hour and starting to work? Are you? So I also work from home some now. I get up, I go downstairs, I work usually from like four to six. Then I'll do my hour of working out and then I'll go back and work again. So your team starts getting emails from you at 3, 4, 4 a.m. type? So I will tell you that it has been, I won't even say once or twice, it has been several instances when I have ended a case and weeks later I've had opposing counsel say, I miss getting up and seeing all your emails in the morning. Because (laughs) you get up and normally if you're on the other side, you've got one, two, three, four conferral emails or whatever else from me. So now at the same time, late at night, People know they can send me whatever they want and they're not, not going to be looking at it. Right. And by so, late at night, I mean like 8.30. Right. I was going to ask, if you're up at that hour, what time are you in bed to go to sleep? I go to sleep between 8.30 and 9. So my kids tuck me in and then they go have the rest of their day. I'll send emails, but I won't sit down to work right before I go out uh, and exercise. But I will check emails sometimes and I'll respond to some things and the work. Uh, sorry, the exercise sometimes will generate some ideas and thoughts and I'll send it off to the team. But like me, I would imagine your view is, look, I'm not expecting any response for quite some time. I just want to get it to the other side during the time that I'm you know, working. More than that, particularly as I've been fortunate enough to grow my business and get bigger and more clients, the hours between four and eight are invaluable because it is four hours I can write a brief or do what I ever need to do without being interrupted. Because once it hits about eight o'clock, if I can get 15 minutes straight, I'm thrilled. So it actually is a huge benefit that I can get up and do it. I think that makes sense. And most lawyers, I mean, maybe this is an overgeneralization, but I think most lawyers capture that time in the evening, 8 p.m. to midnight. You're just doing it 4 a.m. to 8 a.m. That's right. Right. And so we talk about work-life balance, or for me, it's harmony as opposed to a balance. But Yours is, all right, well, I'm going to shift my hours, right? That's how it's going to benefit me, meaning you, Stephen, in in terms of your work. But that doesn't mean you work less. In fact, I know you work a lot and put in a lot of hours. You just, your hours are different than than others. Yeah. And what I was saying with the phone and technology is I think it actually has over time caused me to work more, which I'm trying to be mindful of. Although that being said, um, the balance harmony issue I would rather work 16 hours a day during the week than work on the weekend. I'm very religious about unless absolutely necessary, I will not work on the weekend. Right. And I think that 
I mean, I think there has been a lot of dialogue around this, especially in the legal field. And I do think that there has been some movement on it. But look, even the judiciary and the judges will issue orders and say we need a response in 24 hours or 48 hours on some things. And that's tough. I mean, that creates some significant impact on the lawyers and their staff, right? Fortunately, I haven't had too much of that. And probably because I'm obsessive and type A, I get or endeavor to get most of my stuff done well in advance. And I work with and train my associates to do the same. So mm-hmm. there are very few fire drills on my team. If we've got a brief due in 30 days and we're working hard the day before, something has gone really well. I really endeavor to try and avoid that. And that's just training people, getting people used to that process. Because I think a lot of people's default tendency is, well, if something's not due for 30 days, I'll start working on it 23 days from now. And I people who work with me, we don't do that. Because you know what? Inevitably, what you're talking about happens. And now mm-hmm. you've got to have your original brief and this thing that's a fire drill done at the same time. And that's when you really want to do a problem. And I think if you get people conditioned and not work that way, it solves a lot of that. Right. I think a lot of the work-life balance is just scheduling, just prioritizing and scheduling. Right. And planning. Because there's so much of our, so much of our lives is unscheduled and unplannable. We have emergencies that come up. We have life issues that come up. You get people have sicknesses, whatever it is, things come up. And so if you can schedule and plan out as much of the plannable things, out, then I think you're better served. Um, and on the vacation thing, when we talk about that a little bit more, I start the <laughs> crazy maneuvering to try and keep that window open literally a year in advance. Like right now, for scheduling orders I'm getting, I'm looking at my vacations next year. If I plan my vacations a year out to be able to do this, and I make sure. So as Brett knows, we're supposed to go to the uh, Mount Everest next year. And I had a status conference three weeks ago, and the judge wanted to plan a trial. I think it was in the beginning of May. And I was like, look, I'm going away <laughs> next April. I really don't want to do it. And the judge said, okay. And we moved it to June. So I think a lot of it is just getting out ahead of it. Presumably, you got no pushback from the judge at all, right? Because that's a year out. So that is the other thing that I've learned is with rare exception, and there are definitely some exceptions, judges are people too. And if you say, hey, I want to go away with my wife or whatever else, as long as you don't abuse it, they're generally fine with it. Well, especially when you're a year out, as Jeff, I think, was alluding to. Judge, look, we're scheduling this now. Hey, I'm going to be away in April of 2023. Can we not schedule the trial in May? Can we do it in June? whatever it was that you worked out, of course the judge is going to respect that. And so should opposing counsel. Yeah. I mean, if you have a trial in June and you go to the judge in May and say, hey, I just scheduled this vacation, that's when you're going to get into trouble. Yeah, of course. As, by the way, I can't disagree with any judge that would give that a problem, right? Obviously, emergencies come up, not a vacation, but emergencies come up and people have things. But if you're planning it out, I mean, not everyone does what you do. And plan plan vacations a year in advance, but Most you know, people it's cool. you can plan them far enough in advance. You should let people know that. But I think a lot of what we're going to talk about works if you do it far enough in advance. Because so can, everybody's got to know sort of what the schedule is and everybody shares their own schedule. If you're doing it on two weeks notice or things that are otherwise planned, it doesn't work. I like, Stephen, what you said about training your team and your the people you work with on getting ahead of deadlines. Can you kind of walk us through just an example. If you get a 30-day deadline to file a brief, are you meeting on day two and mapping out a detailed schedule or walk us through that? No, what actually has worked the best, and today is a perfect example of it, is I lead by example. 
So we got some discovery in a case this week. I agreed to respond to the interrogatories. I had somebody else doing the request for production. Three days after we got it, because I had a little time this morning that I didn't have pressure, I wrote out the answers, circulated them, and that prompted the guy who's doing the request for production to write me back and said, I'll get you the responses by Monday. They see it, and I think a lot of... Now, look, to be fair, because I don't want to create unfair pressure on people saying, he got his done, I need to get mine done. I wrote back and said, listen, I'm, I'm way ahead. Nobody needs you to do this on my schedule. But they sort of understand and see how the process works. And I think that works better than anything else. And I think when they see the experience of, on my cases, there are no fire drills that they're used to with other partners. Because a lot of times the associate, it's not up to them. The partner will give it to them at the last minute and they've got to go through it. And they don't like it either. So I think once you experience that process a little bit, you really don't even have to tell them anything. They want to do it that way. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And I think sometimes you see young lawyers pushing back on deadlines because they feel like, oh, it's an artificial deadline. Jeff just gave me this deadline early. It's not due for the message you're sending is is a great one that, look, this is going to be better. First of all, it's going to be better for all of us, but also you're going to get a better work product that way. Starting right. early, having the time to refine things and do the additional research you need to or walk work through it. And and I will tell you on that point, the number of cases, particularly on things like motions to dismiss or summary judgments that I have won based on things we've thought of the third iteration around, far exceeds the first go round. And if you don't give yourself the time to do it, I think, frankly, I give a lot of my success to the fact that we're able to give it that much time because sort of the generic responses are good, but often it's the more creative arguments or the stuff that you find later on when you've got the time to really critically think it through that went. Yeah, I mean, nobody can argue with the success, but nobody can argue with planning and getting things done in advance, which is something we try to preach here too. Unfortunately, it doesn't always work out that way, but if you can do it you know, the majority of the time, I think it is a huge benefit and service, not just to the lawyers working on it, but the clients, right? Like you said, it gives you the opportunity to sit with some stuff, sit with some discovery responses or a brief and be able to think about it before you just, it, the last sort of, you type the last sentence and have to ship it off because of the deadline, you know, you don't have that opportunity to kind of sit with it and absorb it and then maybe make some changes, maybe come up with some more creative arguments or... I will also say clients love it. When a client can get something and they don't have to turn it around back to you in a day and they can do it on their own time frame, you've got a really happy client. Great yeah, point. for sure. So if we can turn to the specific experiment that I alluded to earlier, which was the recent trip out of the country and you're in preparation for that, your attempt at talking to opposing counsel and getting their agreement that they would effectively leave you alone to the extent they could. And those are my words, not yours. Leave you alone. And basically you offered to reciprocate when they had vacations. And overwhelmingly, it seemed like it worked. There may have been uh, one, you know, one person who didn't take to it. But tell us a little bit about the experiment, how it came about, how far in advance did you sort of throw this out there? And what kind of response did you get? And let me just throw out there one other thing, which is if you know, if you want to follow Steve, Stephen on LinkedIn, you'll see his post. And then there was a follow on post. And it really got a lot of traction. We could put it in the show notes. We'll put a link to it in the show notes. And then, Stephen, you will have millions of followers. <laughs> All right. So the, actually, there was sort of a 
iterations to this experiment or sort of how I handled it. It starts with the premise that there are those people who can go on vacation and work. I'm not one of them. If I'm going on vacation, I want to be on vacation. And frankly, if I do an hour a day on vacation, I don't come back feeling refreshed because I haven't truly gotten a break. So what I started doing a couple of years ago, pre-COVID, was when I left, I would have associates and or a partner that I trust take over everything, which I think is somewhat common, and let them know what I was doing. But one of the issues is you get inundated with mail, back to the joy of the phone or email. So what I said to the people who are helping me is I said, listen, I'm going away. I'm not doing any work. I'm not going to respond to anything. And if you send me an email and I'm gone for a week, I'm going to see it eight days from now. And there will probably be 40 follow-up emails after that. And I'm going to have to spend a day just trying to figure out what's what and what still matters. So what I started doing originally was on my side, on my team, I said, listen, don't email me anything. Don't copy me on anything. Don't BCC me on anything. Instead, just keep track of everything you're working on. The day before I come back, I want one email from each of the associates or people who are helping me that has you know, a heading for each case, what happened I need to know about, attaching to the email, what I need to read. And then I've gotten one concise place, everything that happened. And I don't have to cut through the literally thousands of emails before that don't even matter anymore. And that would take me days to catch up on. Putting aside, of course, obviously, if there was an emergency, what I said is because I didn't want to check emails, just call me or text me. Even though we like to get away and you try to put down these markers, obviously, sometimes things come up and you've got to deal with it. And I gave an avenue for that to happen. But that generally was very successful in terms of sort of keeping my phone from my side quiet. But the problem is you would come back and I still had literally thousands of emails because the other side was still moving along like I'm there working all day, every day. And as anybody who does what we do knows, you get hundreds of emails a day. So if you leave for seven days, you're still coming back to just an insane amount of information. So that's how I did it pre-COVID. Then with COVID and no travel for a while, and then I had a couple of vacations canceled last year. I had actually, right now I went to Patagonia in April and I really, really needed to get away. It had been about three years at that point since I went on vacation. My cases were very active and I did not want to come back to what I assumed was going to be, again, thousands of emails from the other side. So what I started doing for a trip in April 2022 was in November, December of last year, I let the opposing counsel know in my cases, here's when I'm leaving. I'm going to be out of the country. I'm not going to be dealing with anything. And here's how I want to handle our cases. When I'm gone, let's effectively stay the case. You're not going to send me any emails. You're not going to call me. You're not going to demand I do anything. Nothing's going to be due two days after I get back. Because that's the other thing is it may not be there happening when you're gone, but it'll be two days when you get back and then it's on your head the whole time. Everybody's going to get, I want a cushion. And I said, but this is going to be mutual. You're going to send me your dates when you're going on vacation with your family, friends, whatever you're doing. And throughout this case, what we're going to do is when anybody's gone, nobody's emailing anybody. And we'll see how it goes. So I did that. I was gone for 12 days in April. It was so successful. I got home on Saturday morning, assuming I was going to have to clear out emails all day Saturday and Sunday. I didn't have to work. I had under 10 emails I had to deal with, substantive emails, in a 12-day period. 
And it wasn't that all this stuff went on. Everything, everybody honored the deal other than one person who sent me some things. And even that person, as much as it was irritating, said, I know you're out and get back to me when you come back. So even that sort of a lesser version of what you would normally get. And I think one of the reasons it worked very well, and this is me guessing, because there was a couple of people I wasn't sure would honor it, but they went on vacation before I did, and I completely honored it. And in fact, in one case, an associate from the other side had sent me an email and copied the partner who I knew was out of town. So when I responded, I took the partner off. And I said to the associate, look, I intentionally took the person off because they're out. If you want to forward it to them, that's great, but I promised I wouldn't do it. And since then, I've talked to people on the other side and everybody for a large part has agreed that they're going to keep doing it this way, the whole case. So we're exchanging summer vacation dates. So hopefully this will be the new way for people to do things. And I, I will tell you, I've done it with experts too, and they were thrilled. I mean, it's the way it should be. As I said in the, the LinkedIn post, the job is hard enough as it is. We don't need to make it harder on each other. Yeah. I mean, it's a very humane, professional way to operate, not what historically has happened, right? I mean, you get into a case and I mean, I know for us, and I'm sure you, right, you reach out to opposing counsel and you talk about, you talk pleasantries and if you know them, whatever, but you talk about the case and how things are going to happen, but nobody says, okay, let's talk about your vacation or my vacation. But maybe that's something that should be part of that conversation from day one when you're involved in a case, because then, you know, it's out there and everyone's going to honor it. (laughs) It may be a pipe dream. But frankly, it's something that probably makes sense to do when you do the initial scheduling conference. People have to be reasonable about it. You can't say, I'm going to be gone for three weeks every three months. Um, I mean, like anything, you can't take advantage of it. But if people just say, and look, again, I know everybody doesn't do it a year out, but give reasonable notice. But if everybody just agrees to do it, there's no reason not to. I mean, at least the cases I work on, they're one, two, three, four years. A week isn't going to make any difference. And to that end, one of the things I concluded when we were gone in April because the next time I go away is if somebody doesn't want to honor it again, I'm still going to not pay attention. And if they want to go to the judge, I'm happy to say, Your Honor, I told them three months ago I was going away with my wife and I'm sorry they couldn't wait a week. We don't have a trial until May of 2023. And my guess is the judge is not going to be happy with that. And you know that everybody knows there's <laughs> there's some judges out there who, who just don't care about vacations, but you know that going in here. Well, and, and again, if you talk about it, even at the initial scheduling conference, if you bake it into scheduling order, if the party, if you can get the opposing side to agree, maybe that, that sort of turns the tide a little bit, even with some of the judges who maybe aren't into it, like you said. But a big component of it is also your team, right? And getting them to buy in too, right? There's getting buy-in from opposing counsel, but there's also getting buy-in from your team And then being a good teammate, even if you're the partner and saying, okay, well, when you're out, I'm going to do this for you. So, yeah, yes. And on that point, I honor this rule with every single one of my associates. And they will tell you because they've been gone. You don't get an email from me. And if I've done it, it's an accident. And I write back, oh, my God, I didn't mean email when you were gone. So I think you do it all around. And let me make one point clear. I'm not suggesting, because I don't think this would go over well, that if you've got a case that's moving, that if I'm gone for two weeks, the case has to literally sit still. There is plenty that can still get done. I mean, again, this is where the advance notice helps. So if you work together and they serve discovery on you a week before you leave, you can have associates working on responses. Almost always there's document review or analysis that can get done. There's stuff that you can do on your own side that doesn't involve the other side that moves the cases along. 
And that's exactly what happened when I was gone. It wasn't like the cases sat still. They advanced on both sides. It was just mm-hmm. in a way that we didn't need to communicate. Right. And that's exactly what I was going to ask you about is the idea. I was curious if you got, I don't know if pushback is the right word, or resistance just premised on the fact that, look, you're at a big firm. You have a whole team of lawyers. Why does... Why do I care that you're away? I mean, there's a, there's five other people on there on your team. Well, <laughs> the joy of me is I, and maybe that's why I work too much is I don't staff that way. It's usually me and an associate. So I, I'm probably the antithesis of a lot of other big law partners, but I don't do it that way. But regardless, I mean, people know who's sort of most actively involved and who's the lead counsel and who really needs to be involved in those situations. So and again, you're talking about a week or two. Right. Yeah. You're not saying I'm, I'm away for a month. Uh, yeah, I'm leaving for the summer. I'll, I'll see you in the fall. Uh, yeah. that probably well, and presumably, as we talked about, if possible, right, you do it far enough in advance that there's planning around it. So if they want to get you that discovery, they can get it to you. Like you said, they can get it to you before you go and your team can work on it and it can be ready when you get back to review and and get out timely or, you know, and same thing with briefing and, and whatever. But the idea is that nobody is hitting you with something that an emergency hearing, again, unless there's a true emergency, which is different. I just mean people filing things or serving you with discovery, knowing that the deadline expires when you're away or trying to set a hearing when you're out of town. And those are the kinds of things that we're trying to avoid. Right. And again, I think it might drive my wife a little bit crazy or anyone I'm trying to plan a trip with that I planned it so far in advance. But it really does make a very big difference. So, for example, I have a couple class actions going on right now where we set the schedules last year and I was able to perfectly set it up where I knew the briefing was not going to fall anywhere near when I was gone. Because when you've got something that substantial. Even if it's due a week when you're after you get back, it's hanging over your head. It impacts your vacation. One of the things I love to do is make my response briefs due a day before I leave, which one, gets it out of my head, but two, right. going back to the case doesn't stop. The other people can be working on their reply brief while I'm gone. Right. right. Most of us are super productive the days before their uh, vacation. I, lo- I agree. I love to have the stuff due the day before I leave. Not but the worst is the day after you get back, you know, something like that. I won't do it. <laughs> yeah. So one of the things, right, that you do the same thing I do, which is like either in the airport on your way back or on the plane on the way back, you're going through stuff in order to catch up. But it's the stuff that you said, which is having your team put together the summary so you're not digging through 400 emails. Yeah, right. Exactly. Many of which are moot by the time. Yeah. You come back. Right, yeah, right. I love that. I'm curious, Stephen, what about, uh, I don't think you've mentioned clients in this discussion. How do you do the same thing with the clients? Hey, look, I'm going to be away. Don't bother me. Obviously not with those words. A hundred percent. I let the client know I'm gone because the worst thing you could do is not tell them and then they're looking for you and nobody answers. That being said, again, I don't know if this is just a more recent thing or people are more reasonable or people just are afraid to ask. I get far more, I don't even get neutral responses. I get things like, that's great, <laughs> good idea. And even on the LinkedIn thing, I was all, or not all, but mostly that. I mean, I had one of my big clients, she said to me, she had just done the same thing last year. It was the best thing she ever did. And I think people realize that you need it and they're very, very supportive and helpful and nobody had an issue with it. Yeah. And again, it's all planning. You give them advance notice and it's fine. 
Yeah, and they and also I, know that because I, I tell them, I tell them when I'm going and I say, if an emergency comes up, here's who you can contact. And here's who I've already talked to about dealing with an emergency. one. So they also know that there's something there, somebody there if they need it. I also question, is this a, a more recent phenomenon or just or maybe people haven't asked. But I have I haven't done what you've done, but I have put on my out of office message. I've been more free about what I'm doing. It used to be I'm out of the office, but now, you know, I've put I'm taking my daughter to college. And I've, I actually put this in one of my messages. I'm taking my daughter to college and I don't want to be one of those dads who's on the phone the whole time in the college dorm. So please, can you, if you can wait till next week, I'll get back to you. And I got so many emails back from people saying, this is the best out of office. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to borrow that. And so it's the same thing. I think if you just let someone know, I'm not ignoring you. And we're all here. Mine just has a bold and underline that says, I will not read this until whatever the date is. <laughs> right. I like that. Fine. I, I think you're just letting them know. It's the same thing as responding and saying, hey, I got your email. I'll get back to you next week. I'm tied up or whatever it is. Right. But I think overall, right, the overarching thought and the idea here is like bringing some humanity to the practice. And Jeff, you saying, hey, I'm taking my daughter to college. Please let me have that time. I mean, that's being human, you know? And I think my guess is the reason it worked for me is the mutuality of it all. And I think a lot of people are afraid to ask. And once you put it out on the table and you say, hey, listen, I'm going to give you the same thing. And for better or worse, I will acknowledge I'm a pain in the ass to litigate with. So people are probably thrilled not to get a bunch of emails from me. See, I use the word tenacious. I use the word tenacious. I didn't want to say pain in the ass. I didn't, I didn't want to say that, but... Yeah, I mean, listen, you're doing your I'm job. I'm self-aware of what I am. <laughs> yeah, no, that's right. That's right. I'm, um, I'm, yeah, I'm, listen, that, there were times, right, when both of us were looking at our phones when we had some service, but we both tried to put them down. And thankfully, right, for us, when we were away from wherever we were staying and we were out, there was no service. Like, we didn't have it. So we really didn't have, you know, the ability to check our phones, which was good. I mean, that was the benefit. That was the idea. That's the idea of getting away. I want you both to know that they're putting 5G on Everest. So <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if it was already there, by the way. Yeah, I, I agree. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that, you know, you got to kind of go to the end of the world not to have service. But I, I really did love because we had talked about it on the trip. I knew you were doing it. I was able to see the post, I was able to see the reaction to it. And I think it's a great idea. I think, again, it's, there's two levels to it. One is dealing with the opposing counsel, but also dealing with your team internally as well. And so I think it is an example that we all should sort of aspire to. And is it going to work all the time? No, but hopefully it works more than enough that will allow us to, to be able to get away for a bit and enjoy our vacation and our families. I like it. Stephen, I hope, I hope yeah. you see some of our clients so that we can have the same mutuality in yeah. one of our cases. Sounds good. Stephen, thanks so much for the time. We appreciate it. Jeff's going to wrap this up really here. It. Yeah, this is great. We definitely want to have you back because I feel like we only scratched the surface on this and so many other topics. And uh, for the rest of you... There's way, way, way too much to talk about. Yeah. If you like this episode, please give us a five-star review. Share the podcast with your friends and family. Follow us on wherever you listen to your podcast and have a fantastic day. Thanks, Stephen. Thanks, Thanks Brett. For more information on this show and other resources, visit fastamron.com and connect with us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram at 
Fast Amron. 